We'd like to thank Flown.com for being a partner of He Shoots, He Draws. Flown make learning fun and engaging with an extensive library of pro tutorials for Photoshop, Lightroom and photography at all levels of expertise, from beginners to advanced. You can get started on Flown from just $9.95 a month, which gives you access to over 140 tutorials covering photo editing, retouching, compositing, software basics, photography and much, much more. There's new tutorials every month and you can cancel at any time. For He Shoots He Draws listeners, you can use code GETPRO20, that's G-E-T-P-R-O number 20, to get 20% off when you sign up. Check out flearn.com today. Welcome to the He Shoots, He Draws podcast, the show about photography and design, with your hosts, Glyn Dewis and Dave Clayton. Hello and welcome to a new episode of He Shoots, He Draws with me, Glyn Dewis, and my best mate, Dave Clayton. But this is actually an episode that, although I'm introducing it, it's an episode that Dave has recorded. And if I'm honest, I'm a little bit annoyed. Having edited this episode, man, do I wish I'd been involved in this conversation. But listen, I know why I wasn't. It's because I was really busy in the lead up to the uh, launch of the exhibition, the 3945 Portraits exhibition. And Dave kind of knows when and when not to kind of get me involved in stuff when he knows I'm kind of busy. So totally get why he didn't. But man, do I wish he had. This is a fantastic conversation with somebody that I've wanted to meet for a while, but now I really want to meet him. A guy called Steve Brazzles, based out in the States. He is uh, he's a guy that's been involved in radio for 40 years. He's a live music photographer. He's also a podcaster, but he's just one of the most interesting guys. And Steve and Dave talked about all manner of different things, but one thing they really did touch on was social media. And God, I wish I'd been involved in this conversation because it's a conversation, although we've mentioned social media quite a few times in previous episodes, this is a conversation about social media that was just different. And the things that Steve was coming out with really did find me sitting there wanting to be involved in the conversation. I was almost sitting there shouting out suggestions and ideas whilst I was editing it. So yeah, thoroughly enjoyed this. Um, Steve, if you are listening, and I hope you are, Mate, we've got to seriously meet. I cannot wait. So fingers crossed 2020s when we actually do get time to sit down and talk. And like Dave said, you're going to have to be on another episode. There is so much that I want to talk to you about as well. So we will make that second episode or that second interview with you rather. We'll make that in person. But I so want to meet you. I so want to shake your hand. Um yeah, absolutely loved it. So way to go, Dave and Steve. Absolutely love this. But listen, this is I'm going to step out now because at the moment as I'm recording this um, this intro, Dave is currently out in the USA. He's in LA, uh, about to go to uh, Adobe Max. So I'm kind of flying solo here with, <laughs> with a few things going on. But um, I'm going to let Dave lead into this one in the usual way anyway. So Dave, over to you with just that simple intro. Steve, who are you? Uh, I'm me. Um, my, my name is uh, Steve Brazel and I am, uh, I do a lot of different things. It kind of depends what day you hit me. I've been in radio for 40 years. Uh, I do live music photography and, uh, through the live music photography, I've also ventured into podcasting myself. So I have a podcast called behind the shot, uh, that I host and have photography guests on where we take one of their shots and dissect it. And that's, that's what I love about some of our guests that we have is they're not just a single thing. And and when you're of when you're like us and you're late forties plus tax, uh, yeah, I was I, yeah. I wasn't going to call you on that one. Uh, um, yeah, I say late forties plus VAT. Uh, but so many people have such an interesting background that the thing they're doing has always been with them, but it's not necessarily the thing they started out to do. And one of the things that fascinated me about you when I kind of got to know you, I think I think my first time I really took notice of what you was doing was an interview you did with Scott Kelby in I think, 2017. On, on Behind the Shots? Yeah. I, I love kind of that seen, interview. 
I'd seen your name banded around. I'd seen your name in the industry, but it had never connected yet until I saw that interview. And it was a really good interview because people like Scott and there's some designers in my world where you kind of know what they're going to say. But every once in a while, you get an interviewer that just goes get that gets that little bit more out that's interesting and you get to know a friend better which is kind of what happened with that interview so yeah I, I i agree and you know what was interesting that was my first meeting of scott actually and what was so fascinating to me about interviewing scott was a just how giving he is with his knowledge and his time but that's kind of that that ability to get that out of scott what some of the stuff that he shared on that episode is really the structure of the show where it's not a how, you know, where were you born? You know, what size shoes do you wear? It's one photo dissected to understand how your brain works. And it's amazing what you find out about people with that. And I wanted to do this interview kind of non-linear. I didn't want to sort of go, okay, Steve, you're 15. What are you doing? I actually wanted to start with, with the podcast because that's something we've both got in common. Right. Uh, we've, probably both around the same number i think on itunes i counted around 80 episodes you've done yeah that something, were on something iTunes. close to that it's it's been two years but i only release every two weeks you're every week aren't you yeah we decided to go we, we get we when we started it um and i kind of said to glenn because i've been doing another podcast with a friend of mine which was just we called it the vector generians it was just two old guys talking about vector artwork and uh we we do it whenever we feel like it and I just said to Glenn, you know, our friendship's gone on long enough. I think we're about, we could do this. You know, podcasts are still on, still growing. It's still a, you know, a big market. Let's have a crack at it. Let's do one a month. And we did the first one and absolutely loved it. So we sort of said, have we got the capacity to do it weekly? But also, don't just do it for the sake of doing it. Do it because we've got an interest. And so that's why how He Shoots, He Draws came about. Because he's a photographer, I'm a designer. And we knew we had a pool of people within the industry like yourself. You know, you've come from musical photography background. You're on the radio and we'll talk about those things. But when you first started the podcast, what was kind of your first aim? Why did you want to do the podcast? Boy, that's a good question. It actually came from Twitter, believe it or not. And that was, I'm a network engineer by trade. So my full-time job is I'm an independent IT consultant. And so I'm very comfortable with technology and I live on social media and, and my favorite social media still to this day is Twitter. And it's because to me, Twitter is the ability for me to text message somebody whose phone number I would never have. <laughs> I like that. Right. And so what <laughs> happened was I had a photography question. I had bought a camera to photograph my son in marching band, you know, on a football field from sitting up in the stands. And I had a photography question and I followed Rick Salmon and I asked Rick a question and he answered and we talked back and forth a couple of times and then we ended up meeting and Rick has become a very good friend. I've got, a, in fact, a little piece in his new book and really kind of from that, I started realizing that even the type of photography I followed Rick and I'm by no means that type of photographer, right? I followed Glenn, and, and by no means am I a portrait photographer, but I'm fascinated by the portraits he takes. I've, I started realizing that there are, are types of photography out there that if I learn something about them, family portraits, landscape, nature, wildlife, travel photography, whatever, I can take something I learned from those people and apply it to my live music photography. Yeah, get that. And so if I could get them down, it was purely selfish. What if I could get Scott Kelby in front of me on a fashion photograph and ask him the questions that I want to know as an idiot? <laughs> if, if I've got the question, the odds are somebody else has the question. And really, that's yep. what it was, was I just wanted to do what I did to, to Rick Salmon on Twitter. I wanted to ask people questions and take their mentality and apply it to what I shoot. And that's what I love about that medium is I know a lot of people have this love-hate relationship with social media. And I feel, the, I feel the same about it. When it first came out, I you know, I'm a graphic designer. So whilst I admire a ton of designers, I've also been really fascinated with photography. Not enough that I've ever desired to be a photographer, nor do I have any ambition to be a photographer. I wish I knew 
I wish I was a better photographer in terms of I've got a great eye for I know what I'm looking for because as a designer I know composition and color and everything my problem is the hardware I struggle with the hardware but I love the fact that through social media I could connect with people I could ask questions and I also got a thrill when somebody would reply because I thought you know some people put themselves out there they don't want to respond they there's the ones I don't like that ask a question which generates people responding but they never respond they never take part and I saw the same kind of thing and I thought wow if only there was a way of you know that whole thing of just because someone responded to you doesn't mean they're your best friend. You know, I remember the first time Joe McNally liked something I did. And it's like me, I'm a graphic designer. I've It only really started with the Kelby stuff. But that first day that I got a notification on my phone, Joe McNally liked your photo. <laughs> Other words I never thought I'd see. Right. Didn't mean Joe was instantly my best friend. And it took about four years of being in the same room as Joe McNally before I spoke to him. Um, had a photograph taken with him which I'm sure he doesn't remember to now he's he's a great friend but it's it's taken a while and the podcast has oh it's, it's just taken those some of those relationships up a level well and and the other thing is people like your stuff on social media doesn't mean that they like your stuff right I I've had I know for a fact I've had musicians like my photograph and I was like oh thank god I love this musician and they liked my photograph and then I'll hear from their tour photographer saying, yeah, he didn't really like the shot. He was just being kind, yeah. right? Bad shots well, get put up of him all the time. He's not going to die over it. But no, it wasn't exactly his favorite photo of you, of himself. Yeah. Um, you entertained him for a second yeah. of his life. And that's, that's all you did. That's also okay, though, right? Your your friends and family would say to you, yeah, you know, you did okay on that. Your, your, you know, your fried chicken was, You're great, was honey. good. <laughs> wasn't great. But it's still... It's an interaction, and it's an interaction that I think social media gives us when used properly uh, that can that can be an, an extreme positive in some people's lives. Yeah. So with the podcast then, when you first started it, and you'd obviously realized you can connect with these people, when you went about – see, we, we took it easy. We Our first guest was someone we knew. Um but what we found with with doing the podcast is probably, I don't know, say we've interviewed 50 people, only about five or six are people we've never met. And and yourself included tonight, this is the first time we've actually right. spoken. Um, we had a good chat before we came on air, but Steve was one of those guys that I knew I could have a good conversation with. And that's why I wanted, well, that's why I wanted to have you as a guest on the podcast. But I love the fact that you're a podcaster as well. Because you, you know, you're working alone. You've built up a reputation. Uh, sometimes you get good guests. Sometimes you get no responses. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And the every once in answers. a while, you, there's nothing yeah, like every, a, <laughs> there's nothing like a complex question. A question so complex, you took the time to write it down. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what I mean, don't you? And, yeah, yeah. And you get there, and you're like, okay, this this is it. This is money. So tell me, A B C D E F G. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah. And 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 it oh, it's like pulling teeth sometimes, but I have I have a goal on every podcast I record. And it's it's my own little thing and my guests usually don't know it. And I I'm the same as you. I started with friends, right? I mean, I started on a on a podcast network and the owner of the podcast network was one of my first guests and then I had some friends of mine, Christy Goodwin who's out by you, uh yeah. was was my third guest and but Every episode I record, whether I know the person or not, and nowadays it is probably 90% people that I do not know. Almost every guest, I want to hear one sentence. I want to hear, when I, when I had Trey Ratcliffe on, he said this, and inside I, I, I got this glow. Wow, that's a good question. That's yeah, what I want to hear. I love hear. that. Right? I, I want that. a question that being clearly kind. to me, <laughs> oh, you didn't expect or have heard this question before. Yeah. Followed by, so Trey, what's your favorite F stop? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I always think of it like a press junket. So, a couple of guests we've had where I really didn't expect to get them um, and was moderately surprised that we did. Uh, the first one was Austin Cleon. But, uh, Glenn had been 
heavily inspired by Still Like an Artist, which is where Photograph Like a Thief came from. And I just thought, do you know what? That I've the past ten years I've made a living of communicating and and networking and building relationships. What's the worst that can happen? Send an email. If they say no, it's fine. I wasn't expecting to get them. And then when they come on and suddenly you've got them, it's like you say you you want you want them to say that's a good question. You, I, I don't want to waste their time with asking exactly. them. Exactly. <clears throat> I understand these people haven't listened to my show. I get that and I'm okay with yeah. that. But to me, <clears throat> I'll give you an example. And at the time we're recording this, this show hasn't aired yet and nobody knows that I've got this guy. Okay. Uh, but whenever this airs, whatever, people will find out when the show goes anyway. It's going to air at the end of October. A friend of mine was going to connect me to a, a wedding photographer by the name of Dennis Reggie. And Dennis Reggie is well known as effectively the founder of wedding photojournalism. Shooting weddings as a photojournalist without posing everything. And he's most famous for being the Kennedy family wedding photographer. So okay. John Jr. and Carolyn Bissett, he photographed their wedding and he photographed, I think, Maria Shriver's wedding to Arnold. I was trying to get him on. I hadn't cold emailed him yet because the friend of mine was going to get him. And then I, I met Skip Cohen. I don't know if you know Skip. Yeah, I know Skip. And Skip was kind enough to say, hey, I know Dennis Reggie. I've second shot for him before. Let me, let me send him an email. Within 24 hours, I had an email from Dennis Reggie to be on the show. And it's, I know he hasn't watched my show. There's no way. But when I had him on and there was a point where he made a comment of, wow, you really did your research. Cha-ching. That exactly. to me was the money shot. I mean, yeah. that was, I did it right and he's happy to be here. Yes. And that's what he's I want. You just want to engage him. They're giving up an hour of their life. And, you know, we same as with us. You know, we're putting a podcast out. We appreciate, we see the stats. We know how many people are downloading it. I appreciate every time someone takes an hour out of their day to listen to the podcast, whether they know us or not. And therefore, I want our guests to be able to talk about something they're enthusiastic about. And occasionally... Uh, I remember it was uh, an English, uh, a Scottish, young Scottish DJ in the UK, and she got to interview Harrison Ford. And she had been warned, listen, great that you've got the interview. I warn you now, he is hard work. One of the hardest to interview in the industry. He just has to do it, knows he has to do it, doesn't really want to do it. So she did a little bit of research and the one thing she knew about him that had nothing to do with acting was woodwork. He loved woodwork. He loved carpentry. So she started the interview off. He's really cold. He's disinterested. He's looking around. So she thought, OK, I'll go for it. I'll ask him a question about that. She said the minute that question came out of her mouth, she had him. He was engaging. His eyes lit up. He, he bothered to take part because she'd bothered to find something out about him that he loved talking about, right. which is what we love doing. Which brings me on to, you're doing a podcast and you're a photographer, but you've also done 40 years as a radio DJ. Correct. So yeah, you started I, when I you were seven, been, yeah? <laughs> you know, I, I was in college, or on your side it would be in university, and... I was actually, it was really kind of a strange circle of things. I was studying information systems or what we now call IT, information technology. And a friend of mine, midnight to six, took me to a, their radio station in Palm Springs, California, and just let me watch him. And it was a top 40 radio station. And about three o'clock in the morning, he put on, you know, Led Zeppelin 2 and let it track. And I looked at him and I said, you're a top 40 radio station. You don't do this. He goes, yeah, nobody's listening. Nobody knows. And I was hooked, <laughs> right? It was just everything I wanted. I dropped out of college. I learned to broadcast. my. And I, since then, I've worked country radio. I've worked easy listening. I've worked top 40. And the station I'm at now is a rock station. And I've been there since 1987, so almost 32 years. That's KCAL. Yeah, KCAL FM in Southern California. And I've been yep. there 32 years actually this month. And I've emceed a lot of concerts. And, and that's how I ended up in photography that I really do. I bought the camera for family stuff. 
And I looked at my boss at the radio station one day. And these days, we used to get backstage for meet and greets all the time. It doesn't happen as much now. That's usually VIP paid stuff. But in those days, it was industry people that got meet and greets. And I looked at my boss and I said, you know, we get backstage for meet and greets. Can we, can we get photo credentials? He goes, I, I don't know. Ask somebody. I said, well, I'm asking you. He goes, well, ask a band. I said, okay, but the problem with that's going to be, I'm going to have to prove I work for the radio station and DJs don't have business cards. The sales staff does. He goes, I'll email you the logo. Make your own. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Two weeks later, I was shooting Heart and Def Leppard. Wow. And if you don't ask, you don't get. You've got to use initiative. It was just, I had a camera. I didn't even know what I, what to do with it. I was a, you know, I shot my son, like I say, and playing drumline and a marching band on a football field, high school football field. But I loved it. I loved how technical it was. I loved the mistake that I made buying the lens that I made that was the wrong lens that as a geek, because I ended up circling back later in my life into IT, I bought the wrong lens to photograph my son and that forced me to learn photography correctly. And that whole circle turned into I'll learn how to shoot music photography. Yeah. And that's what I loved about your background was I, I love radio. I mean, I I used to, I remember when I used to go to bed, I had a little transistor radio and I'd be listening to some of the stations in London. And uh, I just loved it because it was just, you you had no visuals. You had to put everything else in your head. It's theatre of the stories. mind. Exactly. If it's done properly, what, it's theatre of the mind. Yeah. yeah. Nowadays, I can't listen to it because every DJ says the word like in in between every single word which to me is not broadcasting right it's, it's horrible but what i loved was you started in radio you've spent a huge career in radio which opened the door to music photography which in turn opened the door to podcasting which is kind of full circle but what i wanted to ask you more about that which is why i started with the podcast was I said to someone the other day about the growth of podcasts, and I think there's something like get pushing 700,000 podcasts now and g growing all the time, is for me, podcasts are now kind of the Netflix of audio. Is I Where I can binge watch TV show, I can binge listen to a series about something or informational or, a, you know, a, a, like I could put 10 episodes of your podcast on and listen to it on my commute. I decide what I listen to. Because I found that as podcasting's got stronger, radio's got weaker. It's now full of adverts. Uh, I've got a friend, really good friend of mine, uh, who's started off in London, really big DJ, and he's still working for a, a London radio station. I love listening to him. He also did a podcast. He's back on the radio. I listened for an hour. I think he spoke for seven minutes. Now, for me, radio is about the DJ. Right. The mu the music is is there to give him a rest, is to give him a break. Whereas now I just find radio really tedious because uh, aside from listening to the sports channels talking about sport or maybe some news but politics is boring, a lot of the radio stuff now it's it's uh just ads, 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 two three tracks back to back time, you know, let's go back to the 1991, guess what year these were from. Then the DJ speaks for Okay, um, maybe a minute. That was a good song. Yeah, and then goes off. And I, I miss the DJs. I miss the DJs talking, giving me their personality and having a laugh, create, being creative and come up with stuff. Well, in studies show people will follow a personality. So yes. I love that my program director emails us things that he sees in the trade papers and stuff. And I read an article that was effectively, you know, stop thinking of it because there was there was this segment of time in radio where it was the DJs are simply the connecting between the songs and the commercials, right? So you come out of music and hopefully that's nonstop music and we come out of the music and we're going to go into commercials and we need somebody to buffer and give them information. That's the DJ. And it tried to explain to them people want personality. People will, if, if a key DJ leaves station A and goes to station B, there is a chance that some of your audience will go with them because personality exactly. does matter, right? Yeah. And actually radio, terrestrial radio, as opposed to, you know, Spotify or whatever, yeah. terrestrial radio is still doing very well because there's a number of people in their cars that still don't have Bluetooth to listen to a podcast in their car easily. 
they won't pay for, you and I were talking about it in the green room, they won't yeah. pay for a subscription to a Spotify or some or an Apple Music or something like that or or a Sirius XM satellite radio. And yeah. so a lot of people on a commute still listen to broadcast radio. And so is yours your your side of the DJ I mean do you are you an evening are you a morning do you have I just a fixed do weekends time? now and it's mornings uh from okay. 7 in the morning to 11 in the morning. And have you have you noticed that change in your career from when you started to now and now that you podcast what significant changes have you seen in broadcasting that, that, that kind of cross over? Here I go. Because That's a good question. Radio, so many people think terrestrial radio is dying. And there will probably, probably be a day that it does. But the biggest change that I see is you've always had fans in radio and you've always had at times for a different station, rabid fans, you know, for, for that station and those personalities. It's almost gotten stronger because what's happened is some people go to Sirius or some people go to Spotify or some people go to Apple Music or to podcasts or listen to, you know, uh, uh, what is effectively a cable news channel, but also broadcast live over Bluetooth through your, your smartphone. You've, you've now distilled the larger audience of fans and passive listeners. The passive listeners left. So what you're left behind with now is a distilled, concentrated version of people who are really passionate about your format, your station. And so they're much more dedicated. They'll go on trips and I get phone calls. Hey, I'm in Maine at Acadia National Park and streaming you. Happens all the time. <laughs> I remember um, the, the friend of mine who's a DJ, he said, uh, he loved Howard Stern. He loved the whole thing with Howard Stern. He's built a career out of broadcasting. People listen to him. He's, you know, he's outspoken, but he runs a tight ship and he's, you'll always get something out of him. And then for every one of him, they'll, you know, there are local radio stations. And I love that there are local radio stations. I love that people still broadcast and have that format. I never liked it when they put cameras in radio stations that took the fun away from me there were djs i grew up with i never knew what they looked like because yeah same here in the la area i mean the reason i got into radio was a, a guy by the name of jim ladd who would just paint these and this was in the 70s and he would paint these pictures in your mind of of just a rock and roll lifestyle that you never saw what he was doing you never realized he could have been in a room the size of a closet nobody knew it was this world that he painted and i love that and the, and another transition i saw which i'm starting to see in podcasts now as well is what over here was called zoo radio so one particular american dj a fr my dj friend said oh you should have a listen to him if you like me you might like his format which is elvis duran um and he has what they call the zoo format where it's him and five assistants in the studio and they all take part and I've noticed that with podcasting now is all of a sudden there's now four or five hosts on a show. Not so much a conversation between them, but it, it's kind of the DJ needs the, um, is the word affirmation? They, well, well, when they say usually, you know, that's Howard Stern, that's Joe Rogan. <clears throat> you know, it's usually one central character. When I worked in Detroit in the 80s, we had that where the guy's name at the time was Dick Purton. And he had three other people in the studio with him. One was specialized in doing character voices. Another one was effectively some one person for him to bounce off of so that you got the, the more of the feeling of not an announcer, but a coffee table conversation. Yeah. A bit like we do. And you also became a voice actor. I saw as well. Yeah, I've done some, some voiceover stuff as well. And I do a lot of emceeing. I do some voiceover stuff and, uh, which is really why I originally had the microphone and everything put together. Um, I do a little, you know, people ask me what I do for a living and I always tell them it depends what day you hit me. I was going to say, so, and what's fascinating is I didn't know you had a day job and a lot of people don't realize I have a day job. And ever since I left school at the age of 16, I've always had a day job. You left school two years ago? Yeah, I know. I just had a tough bike, a tough paper round on my bike, bad weather, one pedal on the bike. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, you do all these things. I was looking through the list of the stuff you've you know, you've done, you do, you've achieved. 
and you, you know you've added a podcast to it you're still doing your shooting how do you find the balance because I know I get asked this a lot where you fit all this in around your day job so much that people don't realize you have a day job they think you're a dj stroke photographer stroke podcaster really so, it's it's my my hours so years ago when i started in radio i did midnight to six so i would get off at six and that was my dinner time six o'clock in the morning so i i would want a prime rib and a yorkshire pudding at six o'clock in the morning <laughs> and still to this day I'm very nocturnal. So I can be falling asleep at nine o'clock at night. If I make my wife and I joke about this, literally it's like clockwork and it's weird. If, if I make it to 10 o'clock, I won't go to sleep. And I'm up until two, three, four, usually two or three every single night. Well, my wife, she's up at 530 in the morning. And this was interesting because your episode four with Alan Hess, he even kind of discussed this same situation where he consciously changed his schedule. But for me, it actually works out well. My wife gets up at 5.30 in the morning. She's in a rush. She runs to work. She doesn't get home till about 6. Uh, I'm able to sleep in a little bit. I get up. I do my IT stuff. To, later today, I'll be editing photos from a festival I shot this weekend. And then when she gets home at 6, you know, either I go to karate or we're at home eating dinner and hanging out together. And that's our time together. And then she goes to bed. And I'm up and I do all my social media stuff and, you know, whatever the case might be. So for me, it's, it's purely just that, you know, I have photographer hours. Yeah. I always say, answer the question when, when they say, you know, you're doing this, you're doing that, you're going here, you're going there. how do you fit it all in? And I say, it's not really that I'm doing all of those things. It's just, I market myself on social media in such a way that the things that I feel important enough for people to know about, I kind of deploy strategic times so you know if i'm going to be doing a conference if i'm leading up to a conference i will post things related to that that i'm doing we obviously do the podcast which helps but you know nine to five i'm doing a day job i'm lucky i can work from home three days a week i respect the fact that i get that so i fit those things around and uh, uh, you know and i've got four children they all live at home but it's all down to well i get I choose the things I love to do and I've kind of got rid of the things that waste my time. It's a time motion study, really. So yeah, I see people go shoot a concert and on Instagram or Facebook, they'll do one post and post 10 images. I'll go into, or unfortunately for some of them, they'll post 50 images, which just, let me just say this up front. Stop posting 50 images from a show because the odds of all 50 being great images are rare. But for me, I'll take those 10 images and I'll go to later.com and I'll schedule them one a day over 10 days. And it pops up on my phone. It's time to do your later post and I post it. So it's to me, it's a brevity of what I do and say and what I share so that, and I don't auto post, I don't cross post. So people don't, I, this is my pet peeve with Twitter, for example where I see a picture and I see a description and it's, I was out with Dave Clayton and we were walking and I took a picture of the dot, dot, dot. <laughs> and it's, and there's not yep. even an Instagram link necessarily. And it was cross posted from some other social media service. And I, I just refuse. I can do it. I've got all the tools yeah. and knowledge to do it. I choose to take the time to type out 240 characters because <laughs> it isn't that freaking hard. <laughs> I'm guilty of that. I've I set up an app called If This Then That. Yeah, I love it's, If I, This I, Then I, That. Yeah, and I I'd, I'd kind of forgotten it was there, and then all of a sudden I realised I'd got a couple of messages saying, "Oh, David, try to try to reach your thing on on Twitter, and it ends, and the, there's no link, or the link doesn't go to anywhere." And I realised that I became lazy. I was thinking, okay, like the podcast. When your episode comes out, I'll do the graphics. I'll get all the links ready. I generally, first first thing I do is I post it on Instagram and I tell Instagram to post it to Facebook. And without thinking, I sometimes do Twitter or sometimes I don't. But I forget that I've got IFTT. T, and it, it 
goes and posts the Twitter anyway. And I've never had a successful one. The only way I can make it successful is actually to use Instagram like Twitter and do the 200 and something characters work out. So what I've done before now is I've actually typed the text out in Twitter then gone back and posted it in Instagram and then the Instagram So that you know that it will it fit. Yeah. And you can use later to connect to all of those things and get a specific post for each one. Here's the other thing that I do is if I do cross post from Instagram to my Facebook page, which I do, part of my posting process is I post to Instagram using later, goes on Instagram. Yes, send it to my Steve Brazel Photography Facebook page. And as soon as I'm done... I head to Facebook because the Instagram at tags don't work on Facebook. No, you re-edit. So I re-edit to make sure that everybody's tagged properly for a Facebook tag. Yeah. See, tips, people, tips. This is why this is why I want to ask Stevie's kind of questions because uh, we're going to touch on the photography in a minute, but I, social media is something that comes up so much in every interview and i'm sure you've had it and whenever we do our loves and loathes which i'll do with you it's social media is the thing that seems so prominent it's not always the same complaint but it's always the same conversation but i actually quite like the fact that you know i need i need it like you said facebook's uh kind of it's there for you to help with your business you have it uh i, I personally i like instagram because i just like looking at the pictures i don't you know i do read i do comment from your music photography side uh, how because obviously you've been doing that for a little while at what point did you sort of realize damn i'm gonna have to embrace social media and how much has social media helped your photography career because i know these days people think their photography career will start on instagram and for the likes of you who've been shooting Instagram comes along and it becomes an extra thing. How have you found that? So I know people in that second group that have started on Instagram came in before me, came in after me, whatever. Cause the complaint I hear all the time is, you know, I came in late when everybody already had 3 million followers and it's hard to get a follower account organically today. I know people that have come to Instagram late to the game and now have, you know, five, 10,000 followers because they're active and they post regularly. For me, when I was shooting and Instagram wasn't around, I was late to the Instagram game. I was quick on Twitter because that was a tech thing to me. The photography side of Instagram took me a while to get into. I love it now. The difference with me on Instagram and the thing that I, I, I see how some people build their following. And that is a lot of people will do just, you know, it's kind of human nature, a follow for a follow, right? So if Dave Clayton follows me, I'll follow him. And so I see people, yeah, they've got 5,000 people following them, but they're following six, right? And I actually love photography. So I actually want to browse through my Instagram feed and see pictures from people I know. So I am not one, and this is to my detriment from a, from a marketing point of view, I'm not one to follow everybody that follows me because I'll go look at their feed and if they have great work, I'll follow them back. But I don't want my feed, I'm not just using it for marketing in other words, right? I'm using yeah. it to see good, good work. And so I'm not gonna just follow somebody because they followed me. That will affect your follower count. But here's to me the biggest thing. And this is any social media. And this goes for your design world. It goes for, for Glenn. It go, I, I made the joke earlier, you know, stop posting 50 images. I am not, in my opinion, a very good photographer. There are some people who like my work and think I'm good, but that's only because I only show them pictures that show me in the light I want to be seen in, right? Absolutely. Only yeah. show work that conveys an image of yourself the way you want that image to be conveyed. So yep. if I've got 10 shots and they're all A's from a, a, you know, from, a, from a grade card point of view, but two of them are A pluses, right? And three of them are C's. Show the A pluses because it's the same with a portfolio. 
If you've got 19 amazing shots in a portfolio and one shot that's just not that good, I'm going to look at it and go, I wonder which photographer is going to show up for my job. The guy that shot yeah. the 19As or the guy that shot that one? Yeah. Show me you're good. Don't show me you're busy. Yes. And that's one of my that's one of my pet peeves on on social media is uh I don't ca- I don't care how busy you are. I don't care how much you're having to do in your day to produce the thing you produce. I don't have to see an Instagram video of you on a coach with your laptop on your knee editing 50 shots you've done with a you know an engagement shoot that morning. I don't care. Show me. I follow you to see the good work because, like we said earlier, yeah, people on social media are entertaining us for a second. We see it. We keep scrolling. Our thumb just just rolls through. Like, 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 double tap. Like, like, you know. I, I, this whole thing of live video, um, I've not done. I've not done. I know Glenn can do it because he's quite comfortable on camera. But bizarrely, I do follow people and I do watch some of their live video. What, what I find odd is the minutiae of it all is, I don't, don't, don't worry, you don't have to check in every day. I don't need to know you're right. driving to get a coffee because now it's hard for I mean, me to find I mean, unless it's a really interest- good cup of coffee. Really good, yeah. yeah. It's hard for me to find the interesting things you do anymore. because, See, And that's it. You've diluted now or, or you've congested your good things. And one of my, my things that I, 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 I like people to know is we all understand that you have shots that are not portfolio, right? Yeah. Alan Hess, who is literally wrote the book on live music photography and has some of the best live music pictures out there. There's also sometimes where he goes and shoots a show where the band light, the, the lighting for the show is horrible. He's shooting from the soundboard where he's forced to one side of the venue and the artist is not conducive to photography. They, they may not even be, you know, uh, uh, presentable sometimes the way that they come out for, for a portfolio. We all understand that. And what, what we say, and I do a lot of uh, judging or periodically I judge image competitions for local photography groups. And what we'll say, sometimes people will put a wedding photo. I'll use that as an example in an image competition. And we'll say to them, here's the deal. I will give this a green merit, right? Meaning I understand that the mother of this bride paid you cash happily and (laughs) loves this shot. You got green merits for this. As a competition image, it's a snapshot, right? This Mm. isn't a great wedding photo. By any means, you're not going to get jobs working for the Hollywood elite with this image. (laughs) But I guarantee you the mother and father of the bride thinks that this is the most amazing thing on earth. You can have both. Just don't show yes. one of them on social media. Yes. It's like when Scott does the photo critiques yeah. on uh, on the grid. And I like watching those sometimes because it, re- it is really interesting. We've said this before, and I know it sounds like we're giving social media a good kick in tonight, but it deserves it sometimes, is when you are a photographer, and probably more so a newer photographer, it, you buy your first camera... So basically every photograph you take from now on in on on Facebook, you have to tell everybody what camera you shot it with and what lens you shot it with and and all that stuff. But just because Auntie Beryl says, oh, that's lovely. Oh, you are so good. Don't let that be your benchmark of how good you can be because average your average becomes your best very quickly in your mind because the wrong people are giving you the feedback. Now you're not really pushing yourself because you know Auntie Beryl liked that picture you took, which, like you say, was a snapshot. And you think you've reached it now. Yeah, and now because... And then all all that happens then is maybe through some connection, maybe going to Photoshop World, you bumped into a a top-end photographer, you happen to connect on social media, they're being polite, like you said. They, you, you, Oh, the photographers who tag all other photographers in their shots as well because all they want is one of them to like it so they can go, well, my image must be great because... Right. Oh, we'll name Joe, we'll say Joe McNally again because Joe McNally liked it. Joe's being polite. Yeah. That isn't... Don't, that, a like on social media is not the pinnacle of you becoming the best you can be. It's 
talking to your peers it's your work being picked up people like you say people don't want to see well the- and on that episode with that episode number four of he shoots he draws with alan hess uh alan and and glenn and you were talking about critiques at photoshop world portfolio critiques and how people would argue with them that no 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 you're wrong this image is great and i'm gonna you brought up scott kelby and i'm gonna i steal scott if you listen to this i apologize I steal this line from you on a very regular basis at image comps, but it really to me is the description. So on the grid for a image review show one time, Scott made this comment to somebody and I use it when people put flower photos in an image competition. And Scott's take on that was just spot on. Flowers are beautiful by nature. <laughs> yes. Whether you photograph them or not, they're already beautiful. So if you take a picture of a flower and want to pass it off as an amazing photograph, not just what's in the photograph, it better be one heck of a photograph. Yeah. Right? Because you're already shooting the most beautiful nature model that there is. And, and I feel the same way. You have to understand what you're presenting to the world is how the world sees you. He Shoots, He Draws is sponsored by X-Rite. X-Rite bring you the very best professional color management tools in the industry, offering you the flexibility you need to easily achieve precise color every time. Check out the brand new i1 Display Studio and i1 Display Pro Plus, both enabling you to calibrate and profile desktop monitors, laptops, projectors, and mobile devices for consistent, accurate color. Each device uses its own simple and clear interface, giving you the most control and confidence that you'll always get the most accurate colors, the best blacks, shadows, and dark colors with consistent monitor-to-print matching. Save time, money, and frustration by using X-Rite's professional calibration tools. He Shoots, He Draws listeners can get 25% off by visiting xritephoto.eu and using the code COLOR25. That's C-O-L-O-U-R-2-5. And it's easy to knock people down and, you know, because everyone's learning, everyone wants critique. And I like the, I don't know which photographer said it, but I, and I may, it may be Joe that I've heard say it, is, is that a photograph of something interesting or an interesting photograph of something? Right. Because I always said, like, with landscape photography, yes, I know there's an art to capturing the right moment, the right colour, but ultimately that landscape and that sunset is beautiful every day. You didn't make that happen. Right. That was already there. The Moab arches, the Grand Canyon, they are amazing things. If you are going to have a, an image that is going to get you something other than an Instagram-like it's finding that way of capturing the composition, you know, the way the sun sets, the how it poked through something. But there's a thousand of those photographs. I think they did a thing on the grid the other night about are we stealing each other's images? Is there? Type in, um, you know, Paris, and there'll be a, a, a million shots of the Eiffel Tower. You don't have to get awards for all the pictures you take. As long as you're learning the craft and becoming better and trying to be interesting, that's great. But it's it's so sad when social media kind of actually kills that creativity because people shoot for in people shoot for social media rather right, than right. shooting. Well, and you can take reasons. a beautiful object like the Grand. You mentioned the Grand Canyon. You can take the Grand Canyon, which I've been to a million times. I'm not that far from it, and you can end up with a beautiful, amazing image that actually makes the Grand Canyon still not look as good as it actually does. <laughs> yeah. right? And it can you can look at it and go, that's a beautiful image. But you know, when you're standing on the rim, it's much more majestic. Or yeah. you can be like my buddy Dana McMullins, who takes a picture of the Grand Canyon and it's like, wow, it's as beautiful as I imagine the Grand Canyon. I get that with my portraits. That when people take my picture, they say the same about me. Oh yes, I'm 
I'm way more, way more craggy and rocky up close than, than in the picture. The 3D version was so different. Yeah. So there was something we were talking about before the episode. Like I said to you, you you make a ton of notes and then the chat before the episode actually conjures something up. And I've got kind of a cross question. We won't go down this route because we know we could talk about this for another hour. But before we started recording, Steve and I were talking about subscriptions in the photography Uh world and the, the love. Yeah. The love hate relationship with Adobe products and then all these other third party products. And we, and we started talking about, the 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 line between entertainment and work and that you know we pay for netflix hulu disney nbc spotify apple music and then we have the work stuff where we have like dropbox adobe products but there's there's a space that i've got a question for that i do ask a lot of people is if somebody said that if you pay the subscription fee of let's say ten dollars a month but you could absolutely curate and switch off and determine what social media will give give you, like Facebook, would you pay to stop seeing the ads, to have control over what your feed looks like, to be able to block out the crap and make it what it was? Would you pay that to have social media stop doing all the things we hate about it? Oh, wow. So... There are or have been social media platforms that were pay. There have been ways for people to get together and interact with each other in a paid kind of closed garden. And as an example, the network I started my podcast on this week in photo with Frederick Van Johnson, Frederick actually has a community that you pay. I I don't want to quote prices because I could be wrong, but I think it's like $5 a month, something like that. And you can be part of this community and that's where he gets his images for his image critiques and a bunch of other stuff. And people love it because A, you're not just getting, hey, nice image, right? You're going to get real feedback from real people and you're not going to get trolled. So people do like that. Me personally, there are a number of of apps that I have on my phone that are ad-based that do not have the ability to pay to turn off ads. Flickster is one of them, which is a movie app. I, I don't know if you have that where you're at, but I would pay Flickster. Flickster, if you're listening, please put a button in there and let me pay you. I love your app, but I hate your app because the ads are so intrusive. You time them to come up as I'm about to touch something and then the ad comes up and I trigger the ad and it frustrates me to death and I'd pay you. Uh, If there was a Facebook where I could pay to have no ads and better privacy, would I do it? Yes, I probably would. I just don't think that it would ever work Because same as we were talking about subscriptions, we used to, I'm going to use what I told you in the green room before we recorded, and that is Renee Ritchie from iMore made a comment once about subscription fatigue that wasn't that long ago. We bought one CD, $15, two CDs, another $15, DVD, a magazine for $10, right? Macworld. One Macworld off a newsstand. We bought a newspaper and we never complained and we spent way more than we pay now. And right now with Apple News Plus, I can get 300 magazines for whatever it is, $10 a month. I can get all the music that I want for five people in my family for $15 a month. And yet somehow we're fatigued and I get it. (laughs) I am too. But when it comes to Netflix, or Netflix, HBO, our internet connection, our electricity, we're willing to pay monthly because we want it. When it comes to software, like the plugins that you do or other software, we complain that an app in an app store is $3. And if they <laughs> want to go to a $7 a month plan, right, that they don't want to do that. And there's a developer who made a comment online the other day that I love. I'm going to paraphrase it, but you'll get the idea. I can sell a whole bunch of software for $5 a month, but then they expect a new app in the app store all the time to upgrade to everything for that $5 a month. And I can't feed my family, pay my Mm -hmm. car payment, pay my bills and develop that software. Every time an app developer like an Adobe 
where an OS developer like Microsoft or Apple updates their security model and doesn't let me get direct access to the hard drive, for example, if I'm an FTP program. I can do that and then the app is gonna die. Or if you really like the app, I can have half the number of people on my app at $10 a month, but keep yes. it a thriving, living, successful, working application. And from a business model point of view, the $10 a month with fewer people is better. Yeah. And in, in the world of photography, because that's kind of what photography and design where we are, it, I, I said to you before, like in the green one, I'm still paying for a Flickr subscription because I'd put a bunch of images on there way back and I, I really haven't got the time to take them all off. It's actually cheaper for me at the moment to, to keep them there. Um, in our working environment, we pay for storage. We pay for Dropbox storage. We and pay don't for blink. Apple storage. We pay. We, it, it's it's needed. It's necessary. We do it. It's part of our business. And then, bizarrely, and we won't go down this rabbit hole. But when it is a product that we use to make a living, to to physically make money for, and we don't budget for that, but we budget for. It's a bit like when a you know someone asked me to create a logo for free because they haven't got budget. And the logo is for letterheads and stationery. They've got the budget to get it printed. Why is the printer not printing it for <laughs> that's, free? That's actually it, you an know, extremely good point. And it's appropriation of funds. Yes, yeah. and and that type of thing happens all the time where people have misplaced their their sense of value to themselves. So there's a there's a plugin I use for Lightroom when I register my images with the U.S. Copyright Office. It's called LR Transporter, and it's shareware. Right, you can download it and you can use it. And it's got limited functionality unless you pay. But when you pay, you get to pick the price that you pay. You can pay $5. You can pay $10, right? Yeah. But it's a plugin I like. And as Lightroom changes and plugins get broken, I want this guy to, to enjoy his life enough to keep this going. I appreciate his work. So I donated, I think, 25. And the recommended was 10 or something like that. Happily. And we really need to get back to the mode of a developer that you've never met that makes a piece of software that you absolutely love is like your friend who brings you a really nice bottle of wine and a good lasagna. And you look at him and go, you know, next time we go out to dinner, I'm buying. Right. <laughs> That's how you need to look at these developers who make products that you need. And that is you want them to succeed. Yeah. And even with gear, you know, I, I've actually said to someone once about when we're having a conversation and, oh, you know, I want to get the new, I'm going to sound like an idiot here because I don't know any of the cameras, but I'm going to say the new Canon DX something or other. There you go. But whatever, yeah, whatever is the, the newest brand new pro Canon camera right now, probably the one that shoots itself and you of, don't even have to touch it, that one. Exactly. Just thinking about it, it's already when you buy it off the shelf, it's already it's preloaded with great images. It already. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's I don't know, let's say five thousand dollars, all right, because that's the prices I've always heard. And photographers are like, I can't afford that, I can't afford that. But if they could have that camera for fifty dollars like like I, I, I'm probably going down the wrong place here because you can pay monthly for stuff, but it's that putting that value of if the thing you're paying for is going to help you make money and it's making it easier for you to be able to do it without having to like, just keep taking cash out your pockets in lump sums, which is what we used to do, is it beneficial for you? Um, yeah, and, and actually you... the best example there to me is cell phones are over $1,000 now if you get a top cell phone. My, my iPhone 11 Pro Max was expensive, but with an Apple upgrade program, there's no interest. It includes yep. Apple Care Plus, and I pay monthly, and 12 months later, I can swap it. Now, Exactly the same yeah. Now, some people would go, well, I'm not paying that for a phone. Well, here's the deal. I'm an IT person. Now, granted, I also just love tech. But same here. <laughs> this phone is the single computer I am on more than any computer in my life. I remote control networks on it. For me, that is a not even a thought of that's the phone yeah. that i want with that screen size and those three cameras yeah that gives me i'm, I'm exactly the same as you i i like the apple ecosystem 
the you know i've got an imac i've got a laptop i've got an ipad i've got an iphone they all talk to each other the things that don't that aren't good i can live with i'm fine with that um but i went on the upgrade program now the only thing i don't like about the upgrade program which i didn't do was because the upgrade program is uh 20 months interest free with apple care if anything happens you're fine i'll see the 20 months out i'm not going to pay for half of a thousand dollar phone and at the end of 11 months when i can upgrade i'm actually handing over a phone writing off 500 dollars and starting a new contract and apple have just got a a less than one year phone back off me and they've had 500 dollars in their pocket right and if I you get keep nothing, it, I get you no can trading. sell it out right and make exactly. a little money. But for me, I always I'm an early adopter, so I always want the newest phone. Yeah. And for me, a, a lot of it is I changed my photography when I go on vacations with my wife years ago. I don't want to be that dad or that husband that's hang on, honey, and let me take this shot. So years ago when we went to Italy, I said to myself, you know, I'm only going to take my phone and at the time with an Olo clip, attachable lens. And yep mainly because I wanted a fisheye or a wide angle. Well, now I've got that in this. And, you know, were there times I wished I had a 24 to 105 and a Canon 5D Mark IV? Yeah, but I didn't have to sling it around and I didn't have to worry about security with a camera on my shoulder. And and I pulled my phone out of my pocket and I got very, very enjoyable, usable photos. Yeah, and that's how I view it. For $50 or 50 quid a month, I've got a computer, a phone, a great camera, uh, I'm going to upgrade to the 11 Pro. I do use it all the time. Not in a case, not like I'm on Facebook all the time, but I do use it as a computer and it's something I love. And uh, there's an interview I'm hoping to get at Adobe Max. Uh, I'm not going to name the person because it jinxes it, but this person has come onto the scene as a photographer and making a name for themselves and they only shoot with an iPhone. They only edit on the iPhone. They don't even go to a computer. Everything is done on the phone. And some of the work. Oh, it's amazing what you create. Rick Salmon's wife in in their books, uh, all the photos from Suzanne, Rick's wife, are all phone shots. Scott Kelby's wife, Calibra. Yeah, Calibra. Oh my gosh, what that woman shoots on an iPhone is scary good. And that's what it's becoming. It's part of our world. And say us, us uh, late 40s, it. I love the fact that we've got the experience of comparison. Yeah, plus VAT. Is we've got the experience of comparison. And what I love about speaking to people on the podcast is you do get their views. You do get their their, their interests. Uh, you get their opinions. And I love that many a time my opinion has been changed by guests because I've, looked, I've not looked at the thing the way they do. Right. And, and you, can, you, can, you can, it's okay to go, do you know what? I was wrong about that. I totally see that in a completely different way. It's, it's been see, lovely Glenn to talk said to you, that Steve. you're never wrong. Well, that's because I play, pay Glynn a subscription okay. to agree with everything I say. And we're full circle. <laughs> yeah, back where we are. So I've taken an hour of your time, Steve. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And I definitely know we are going to have a second interview. And the rule is on the show generally, where possible with the second interviews in person. So I'm going to say now, I hope we meet in 2020. That would be awesome. Um, I hope I hope it's a Photoshop world and I get invited back. Scott Kelby, if you're listening. Scott Kelby, if you're listening. Um, and we sit down and have a chat because there's so much more I want to be able to talk to you about. And Sounds I good to me. And I get told off for, for going way over the hour. So thank you, Steve. Now, before we go, where can people find you? Uh, my- How would you like people to find you? Yeah, there's. I have two different sites really are the best bet. The podcast is at BehindTheShot.tv, not .com, not .co.uk. It's BehindTheShot.tv, that's the podcast. And then my site is SteveBrazzle.com. There's a link to the podcast there too. And it the last name is spelled like the country of Brazil, but there's two L's. So SteveBrazzle.com and all my social media links are linked there too. But the I'm on Facebook now and then. It's Steve Brazel Photography. Uh, mainly, I'm on Instagram or Twitter, and both of those are just at Steve Brazel. Okay, thank you very much. People, go and have a look. Find Steve. Um, he's been a great guest. He's somebody I've really wanted to speak to for a long time, and I've not been disappointed. And, you know, 
I will make that payment tonight when we've gone. Sounds good. <laughs> the, the, well, just I'll put it on your card. It'll be a recurring payment. Yeah, I'll be over in a couple of weeks. I'll just leave. I leave dollars with Alan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no, it's been really cool because we've got to speak to Alan. We've interviewed Drew Gurian. We've interviewed Matt Hayward. Uh, Matt Hayward was just that- on, and I saw Matt at Photoshop World Las Vegas, and and that guy, first of all, amazing work, but also great live speaker because the person before him went over time, and Matt, I get the feeling, didn't want to go over time. He managed to get no. up cut all the the fluff out, run through his presentation and get through everything really well. Yeah, if you ever get the chance to see Matt Hayward talk, you should. He is. He's a great guy. And I was going to say, it's funny how the the guys that have all been in and around music photography, apart from that, the best stories and have met the best people are the nicest guys as well. So, and you're no exception, Steve. Thank you so very thank much. Thank you very much. And, uh, and we'll catch you next time. Sounds good. See you soon.